And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. What's up, hustlers? Welcome back. This is Andrew Morgans, founder of Marknology, here as today's host of Startup Hustle. We're covering all things e-commerce, Amazon, entrepreneurship, but today's special guest, before I make an introduction, uh, is the founder of a show. I think you can imagine who's going to be on today and who I'm talking about. We're going to be celebrating Full Scale's four-year anniversary. Before we do, shout out to our sponsor for today's episode, FullScale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Matt, you're everywhere in this from founder of startup hustle founder of full scale um what brought us here today i'm super excited to be the host for today's episode and talking about uh the four years that i've got us here so welcome to your own show thanks man i actually think this is the first time i've been the guest okay watson no one's interviewed you yeah, at all okay yeah. i feel very special yeah, in that we've case. talked about a lot of this stuff but there hasn't you know matt and i started startup hustle four and a half years ago and full scale four years ago, but I don't think that we've talked about both a lot on the show, but I don't think I've ever been the actual guest. Well, cool. I get thank, to do, I get to do the talking. Yeah. I, it felt weird. It felt weird. Like, no, I like it. I mean, the intro for me, I'm like, man, this is what it's like. Yeah, this is I it. Could, I could get used to this. Well, when do you think that we connected? Do you know like how many years it's been? Has it been three, four, five? Probably four ish. Okay. Because I think we'd probably just started the podcast because you were one of the, probably in the first 50 guests, because I remember you specifically before we even had the, the shittier studio of the many studios we've had, because you were one of the people that got to kind of hover around the, the blue Yeti mic. You're like, hang on, let's all get close enough. We can smell each other's breath. And I like the I like the life. old studio. I'm a, I'm a little old school, but we did. Uh, I was brought on regularly as a guest. We call it the Amazon Update. I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah. I no, you were just on once, and it was just an episode, and then, you know, we, we turned we, it into we, the Amazon we, Update, we and here you, I am we today. Thought you were all right, so we, you know, we stuck with it. No, I just I have a way of making people like you know be friends with me. So I've pulled some levers. Um, but I want, I, I do want to be serious today because I think there's a lot of our listeners that do care about your backstory and, and they want to understand how full scale and startup hustle tie in together. And maybe we can just like bring some of those pieces together for our listeners. And so I think we should start out the show, like typical to my show. Um, I start out just trying to get to know the founder and the backstory before we jump into kind of more of that. And so I know it, but for everybody else listening, let's get into more of the details what is your backstory? Like, when did you become an entrepreneur? Did you, did you always want to be, you know, on a podcast? You always want to be an entrepreneur. Um, where do you start? I was born an entrepreneur. Like I honestly, like if you ask me that, I've had a lot of people ask me that question over the years and I can't ever remember a time when I wasn't doing entrepreneur stuff, you know, like, I mean, as early as I can remember, just 
little things, lemonade stands. Uh, my parents lived near a golf course and we used to go fish golf balls out of the pond and drag them up to the tee box and sit there until the course marshal would come throw us off. And, you know, I painted curbs in high school, like, you know, the addresses, like the yeah. white box. So then you make a couple hundred bucks a day doing that. Smart. I haven't heard that one. Yeah. I just did it. I was always doing stuff to, to hustle and it just always felt natural to do it. You know, I, I tried having a, a quote real job uh, for a while. And, you know, it's, I think many of the people that listen to the show regularly know I worked in the in and around the music industry for almost a decade. So let's, let's talk about that. Like, I mean, everyone has, everyone has a backstory. I think what brings founders together is a lot of us have not the same exact challenges, but a lot of similar ones. I know some of your family history, you know, we're here in KCK. Maybe we'll talk about that in a little bit, how it ties in, but was it you watching your dad kind of run business? Was it an older brother? Like, was it wanting to buy things that kind of had you hustling or what was it about? you know, entrepreneurship or kind of having your own money and kind of figuring out your own way to get it that, that drove you. So my dad didn't run, you mentioned Kansas city, Kansas, and you know, my great, great grandfather started a dairy. So they sold milk and ice cream. They didn't own cows. They bought the milk from the farmers and did a lot of stuff. They were here in Kansas city, you know, 120 years ago and here specifically where our office in this area, where the office and the startup hustle studio is now in Kansas city, Kansas. And, you know, that, that business got passed down to my grandfather, but he sold it in the early sixties. Okay. And, uh, um, you know, my dad was a, an attorney, but at his own of his, you know, he worked for himself, Okay. which is entrepreneurial in nature. I think any, anytime you rely on yourself for all your income, you don't get a paycheck that's signed by someone else. Like you're an entrepreneur. On some I agree. Levels. I, I agree. think there's a difference between being a founder and being an entrepreneur as well. We've talked about that on the show. It's like, is a franchise owner an entrepreneur? Yes, but they're different than a founder. Yes. So anytime you're a founder, you're doing something that doesn't have an owner's manual. I would agree. I think some people might think that that's an entrepreneur, but no, I would agree that is the difference. That is the difference because, you know, with a franchise, you're still creating something. You have a little bit of a playbook, you know, but you still have to execute, you still have to manage people, you still have to deal with the area that you're in and all those challenges that come up with being a business owner. But um, you know, being a founder truly is something different. You know, it's, it's creating something from nothing. Um, okay. So. Well, I always did like smaller things. Like you mentioned, like the, like curb painting and stuff like that. And, you know, much like a lot of people, I kind of fumbled around looking for the thing that was going to be the thing. And when did music, when did the music career come in? So I was in my mid twenties and I was just trying to like, honestly grow up a little bit and make some money. And I got a job at a piano store of all places. And you know, I had people tell me like, how are you going to make any money selling pianos? I said, I don't know, but the dudes that work at the store are driving Beamers. So someone's doing all right. Here's the thing. Pianos are expensive. Yeah. So a commission on them pays well. And it wasn't high volume. It was boring as hell, dude. Like in a piano store, like sometimes you'll sit there all day and not one person will come in. So I knew I needed to do something different. I ended up driving across. I lived in Wilmington, North Carolina at the time. And I drove across the, you know, across the city and started working at like an actual music store that sold all the stuff. Okay. Uh, a year later, I was a, a like a, a zone manager. So I was in charge of one fourth of, a, of 15 stores. Okay. So like a section of a store, like a zone and a store. And that company ended up getting sued and going out of business. 
It's a whole nother story about while you were there. Yeah. And yeah. And you can see the writing on the wall amidst that. Um, I got an offer to move to Washington, D.C. and open a chain of Yamaha piano stores for a husband and a wife that owned a bunch of other piano stores and uh, on the eastern shore of Virginia. So I went up and did that. And that was the two years that straddled the, the housing crisis. OK, so I had one really good year and one miserable year. And I really just honestly, I hated it. I did not like sitting in a retail store. I did not like doing any of it. Waiting on people to come in like you don't even like it's not even that. You know, I think that's the thing with sales, with what I love about e-commerce, you know, just to bring what I do in is that like, there's unlimited amount of being able to reach customers. I don't have to physically. Well, there is now. Yeah. Now in 2008, the internet was still just passing dial up for a lot of people. Yep. And, you know, not all businesses had a website and, you know, I've always been a very busy salesperson, you know, I like activity breed sales, like always looking for stuff. Touches, but, LinkedIn likes, like an equivalent of today. back then. Yep. So you're sitting in a store just feeling like you're robbing away. So I reached out to some people I knew at the Roland Corporation and a lot of people know Roland. That's, uh, you know, the, the world's largest maker of electronic musical instruments and uh, managed to get myself a job there uh, as a district manager over 13 states. Now that was interesting because at that point I had dropped out of four colleges and that was a job you needed an MBA to get. So you can imagine the finagling I had to go through to just even get that position. Yeah. Well, you leveraged the piano store to the Yamaha store to Roland. They wanted people that could sell Yeah, really in the end and, and people that would hustle across 13 states, which by the way is excruciating. So I did that for about two years and I was just like, you know what, this isn't it either. So I went back to school for the fifth time. I actually, and I lived in Indianapolis then. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I didn't know, I was still trying to figure out what I was going to do when I grew up. Yeah. And I'm like 30 at this point. And I wrote a letter to the Kelly school of business at Indiana university, which at the time was like a top 10 business school. And I didn't think I'd get any cause I had shitty grades. It's never a good student. But I, and I kind of just told him what I'd done professionally and all this. And, you know, I ended up getting in. I was okay. like, shit. So I quit my job. So I, I, about a year later, I'm running out of money. I'm trying to figure something out. And that's actually when I started the first business that I wrote Million Dollar Bedroom about. Here we go. Buying and selling concert tickets. And man, that took off fast. Like read the book if you want a Million Dollar Bedroom. It's a good story. I funded that business with a stack of my poker buddies' credit cards. And what I know that maybe like we're going to get to is that like 100% the struggles in that business, the success in that business, 100% set you up for, you know, what you do now with full scale. and well, It was, it was and nine everything. months into that, that I hired my first employee in the yeah, Philippines. Exactly. And I had been trying to, we weren't just buying and selling tickets. We we're also building websites that acted as marketplaces. So, you know, back once again, this is like, you know, 2009 at this point. And there's not like... Like things weren't very sophisticated on the mm -hmm. internet still. And I was trying to build a website that built itself. It was like an advanced affiliate kind okay. of model. Okay. And I needed it to make new pages based on changes in database tables. Anytime you're looking at events, there's hundreds of new ones announced every day and there's hundreds that just occurred. So you got to build a, just trying to build a program that took down the old events and, and, you know, basically redirected the old pages and created new ones. Okay. Hired a local guy to do it. There wasn't any, like now that's not high technology, but then it was. So, you know, along the way I, I'd hired a local guy and he was making some progress, but so essentially I'm trying to make a thing that just generates pages 
and it would make like five original pages and then it would just get stuck on the sixth one and make it for like 80,000 pages. And then you have to go in and like clear the whole server out. And just to stuff. get five pages again or whatever. And he was stuck for like two months. And he said, uh, he said, Matt, you need a PHP developer. I said, cool, let's go find one. He said, no, you're not going to find one in the United States. I said, why not? Well, no one grew up here doing that. So I got on, I got online and I just started looking and, and, you know, trying to figure out uh, where I could find a PHP developer. And I came up with India or the Philippines as the two best options. Now I don't know anybody from India, but I have had, my parents had a Filipino family that owned a cleaning service that had cleaned our house for 20 years. Mm. Del Rivera. Hi Del. Uh, so I called him up I said, Hey Del, it's Matt DeCourcy. He said, Hey Matt, what's up? And I said, I need to hire some computer programmers. And he said, Matt, you know, I clean houses, right? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I do. But I also know you're from the Philippines. Where do I need to do? Do I need to go to Manila? And of course, that's like the only city that Americans know in the Philippines. He said, no, you need to go to Cebu. And I said, never heard of it, which is the same reaction I get when I tell people we have an office in Cebu. But he describes Cebu City as the Silicon Valley of the Philippines. And this was like what year? 2009. Okay. You know, and I'm still a student at that point. So I'm doing this, I'm doing school, I'm like doing all this stuff. And you know, I don't know shit about technology at this point. I was so, going to ask, like, were you kind of like learning development yourself? Or it was like always like, I have an idea, I'm going to hire a developer I to help me do knew it. I was never going to be a programmer because I knew people that were programmers. And I just don't have, it's not my personality type. Yep. Like those people require a special degree of patience and attention to detail that I do not possess. I would, if I was a programmer, there would just be a stack of broken laptops in the corner Yeah, from frustration. I don't know how they do it. I mean, kudos to all you highly technical people that can somehow quickly figure out that you're missing a semicolon on line 1500. If anyone's listening to my podcast, I'm pretty sure I've said that same line. Yeah. I, I went to, I got a, I have a computer science degree uh, in networking and security, but during that time there wasn't that many classes. So you all took languages. I think I had like five languages under my belt um java c plus plus c sharp whatever you take at park university uh we were writing code like for a craps game as tests on paper yeah. it was and i was like probably a little bit after that right so and, and the crazy thing is is none of that's even valid now i hated it yeah I, I felt like i was doing stuff from like 10 years before you know um so school for me was not a, a, a pleasurable thing it was like you know oh my god if this is it i'm gonna kill myself um yeah, I was just trying to figure out. I mean, I, I like had to Google what PHP even stood. So can we get the, okay, well, so well, I interrupted, but, but let's. Hang on, but hang on, because this is a good part. So this dude's stuck, and I put, the, so I, I figure out, okay, so I'm going to take Dell's advice. And I, Go see I put an ad in the newspaper and another one on an online site in the Philippines. And I got flooded. I got like 100 replies, like a whole bunch. I don't even know what the number was. I, I went back and looked when I wrote the book. I don't know. I can't tell you right offhand, but. So, but there was one guy named Rico that I started having an email thread with. And I told him what the problem, what I was trying to build and what the problem was. I hadn't even spoke to this guy or anything, you know, okay. To give you some context, Skype had come out like six months prior to this. Okay. So like that, I mean, that was like high technology, right? But I hadn't talked to this guy. So I told him what the problem was and, and he sent me back a little snippet of code and he said, try this. So I sent it over to the other, to the local programmer. And like two hours later, I got an email back with the subject line in all caps, it fucking worked. 
So this dude in Cebu, literally, without even speaking to me during his job interview and sent me what looked like a couple lines of gibberish, solved the problem. And oh, what yeah. it was is, is when the when the server's making pages over and over again, it basically needed to have like another mechanism that cleared cache because it was trying to make them too fast. So it would just get stuck and it would keep making the same page. So it was basically like wiping it. It was almost like like you would get with a gun you know, like a semi-automatic gun where the slide comes back, the shell flies out and it loads another reset, round. reset, reset. Yeah. Reset. So it did that. But I mean, this, so I was like, shit. So I hired this guy who quickly outpaced the local guy and then replaced him. And, you know, we ended up building what we called the APC, the automatic page creator. Um, that was the first thing that I made a million bucks on. Okay. So, and I, and by the way, I haven't ever talked about those things. I'll say I was saving it for your episode, Andrew. I was like, I haven't heard this. I want the details yeah. of it. So that was revolutionary at the time. And like now that wouldn't even be high technology, but that was pretty cutting edge and innovative at the time. And we kept building it and then we had to find other ways to market it. So I kept hiring other people in the Philippines to kind of do what we would call virtual assistant kind of stuff. They were posting job ads online, but I ended up having eight to 10 employees in, in Cebu. Uh, for several years and some of them never quit working for me. Okay. Some of them later became gigabooks employees. Okay. And still work there. But it wasn't until four years ago that we started full scale. Okay. So I have a question here. Um, might be jumping around for you, but I think there's a good one at the March get together. The company recognized a 10 year awardee. Yeah. Uh, that was one of those. We just said we were employees. four years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so one of the original. And that's actually the second scale. tier. We actually had another lady that uh, had 12 years and she retired. She did well enough working for me that, and she's my age. She's retired. I love that. Yeah, she's still on the board. She's on the board of directors of Full Scale. Um, so, yeah. It's crazy, you know, thinking about just how you grew up, you know, we're from here, um, you know, around Indianapolis, different places. And like the key to your your first million is you know someone you don't know or you didn't know at the time on the other literally on the, other side, the other side of the world yeah and i love i love that about that about what we do um and there's a girl that works on a lot of my web stuff that i had posted three or four times for some help on instagram and was tr- trying to pay people to help me it was like some kind of code thing a, a plug-in i was working with it was actually amazon to shopify Amazon fulfilling for Shopify orders. And I was just having some issues and um, she fixed it and wouldn't charge me and said, Hey, that one's on the house. I just want to work with you. Yep. You know, and that gets me every time. So that's a key yeah, for was, anyone. That listening. was kind of like, kind of like the dude in the interview, you know, fixing it, just say, Hey, here, you know, this works. And exactly like that. And, and you know, the, here's the thing is there was, you know, just kind of, so we don't end up talking for a whole hour about, you know, it's, if we're talking about full scale, because full scale to me is the greatest part of my entrepreneur story. And it all started after I wrote a book about million dollar bedroom, which I thought was a pretty damn good story. So that, that whole story is that, 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 that business we started in the bed, in the extra bedroom, in my home, all I had was a credit card with an $8,000 limit. And I turned that into $30 million of revenue over the next eight years. And it, and the foundational elements of everything that we do today, everything that, that, that uh, became gigabook that later became full scale. And actually in the Philippines, Full scale is actually Gigabook Incorporated. Okay. Because so. it started, it didn't even, we didn't. So, you know, so the, the business that started in the million dollar bedroom, you talk about looking for that good idea. 
I didn't have it. I stumbled into it. It was an accident. Mm. And full scale was kind of an accident too. Cause really what I was trying to do is I, I left the ticket business at the end of 2016. Uh, my wife and I had done well with it and I just wanted to do something different. It was a bold move. And I told my wife, I said, I'm going to reinvent myself. I wrote two books and didn't make any money for a year, which was painful. And, uh, you know, just, you know, I was trying to figure some stuff out. I met Watson because I interviewed him for Million Dollar Bedroom. And I had this idea. So Matt was having this problem at Stackify where he couldn't find enough developers or keep them. And I said, you know what? Maybe if we built him a team and marked it up just enough so Gigabook wouldn't have a burn rate, then a little bit, a tiny, little tiny bit of funding would get Gigabook off and running. And that's exactly how we started. Matt bought half of Gigabook and that's what we used some of that money for. Now it was, I think a good entrepreneur listens for echoes Mm -hmm. and they listen for, you know, they look for opportunity. So we had started this podcast and we're talking about Cebu and what we're doing. And our peers just kind of magically started appearing saying, Hey, I got the same problem. What do I need to do to get some of these people? And where is it? It's, it's Cebu. Cebu. And so, you know, it was for, so technically on some levels, full scale is a little bit older than four years. It's June, four, four years ago. So it's 2018. And, uh, uh, but it, it had the giga giga book was that first few months. So we brought on beta client one. So we started with the giga book model that went about two months. And it's like, you know what, there's an opportunity here to snap a couple people in. We already had the office. We had all that stuff going on. Beta client one, next month, beta client two. And then it was June four years ago. Uh, after we have beta an client idea. Three. Yeah, and there's a funny story with that too, because you know, I like to fuck with Watson a little bit. Mm-hmm. Every now and then I talk to listeners. They're like, are you always mean to him? I'm like, I'm never mean to Matt. It's all, he asks for it. So with that, I, I took Matt out to lunch. I, I went, I said, hey, Matt, I need to take you out to lunch today, man. I got to talk to you about some stuff and it's important. And I kind of just left it like that and like walked away. We went to lunch. And he's I'm thinking down. I'm getting broken up with. That's yeah, what I'm that's thinking what of. Was, I'm like, was, oh my God. He was kind of wondering what was up. And so I sat down and we're at Charleston's um, and, and we're sitting there talking. I said, now, so I don't think I should spend any more of my time working on Gigabook. And he looked right back at me. He said, dude, I just bought half the company. <laughs> so that was the gotcha moment. But I was like, well, no, there's some good news here. And I laid out the whole thing with full scale. I said, I, there's a huge opportunity. Neither one of us, when we, when we became business partners at, at Gigabook, had any idea how bad the talent shortage was. Yeah. So at the time, there was about 250,000 open programming jobs in the U.S. And I was like, shit, I don't think we're ever going to fill these. Like I, I did the math. I did all this market research. I like was looking up like how many computer science students there were, like how much this was going to take to, and I was like, I don't think we can ever fill this gap. And not only have we not filled it, it's gotten wider. Yep. So now there's anywhere between 350,000 and 400,000. So here we are, we start full scale, three beta clients. We fast forward one year from then, we had a hundred employees. Yep. 
I was here for that, by yeah. the way. Oh, and man, I got to tell you what, that was wild. Like there was times I looked at Matt and, you know, I mean, let's talk about Watson. I mean, that dude's done some stuff. You know? Right. And, and what I can say for all of us that, have been, I mean, I've been here as a part of it, at least like uh, as a mentee first. And, you know, now I'm on the startup hustle uh, as a host, but um, just watching, you know, you and Matt, everyone went through personal things. We had uh, the pandemic happen, right. Yep. And we had a tsunami, right. Typhoon. Typhoon. That was just recently. Yeah, just recently, but just like some serious things in those four well, years. Matt went, Matt went through marital changes and got married, has another kid now. And, you know, when with that, the, you know, the pandemic was was pretty wild. And, you know, let's let's back up even the year before that. So here we are with 100 employees and, you know, we're trying to figure this out. And, yeah. And, and you look at, you know, from the outside looking in, it looks like we just had this smooth growth pattern, but it was like. It was, it was it, on many days, it felt more like a teenager learning how to drive a car. It's like, you know, gas, break, gas, break, gas, break. And, you know, so halfway through the, the timeline, you know, right when COVID started, which is about half of the timeline of the company at this point, we were finally about to become profitable. It, we had put a couple million bucks in. Right. And, you know, it's time to get that back and, and really have things going. And all of a sudden COVID comes. And oh man, we lost 35% of our revenue in six weeks. So we, you talk about like the, the gut punch of, and you know, at this point, like, I mean, I'm pretty all in at this point, I'm yeah. pretty close to it. And you just talk about like the whole feeling of, uh, you know, that had been a really long two years. And for those of you that want to be an entrepreneur and you're not married or you don't have a, a partner or whatever or kids, see, I didn't. I had, you know, I didn't before that, but I had, I have a wife, I have kids and like, you got to justify like the insanity on some days. Yeah. So that was, it was really a kind of a devastating feeling to have that occur. Uh, we thought we were talking to an investor about making a investment that fell apart and like all of it. So, you know, we had to, had to figure out a way to cobble together. The next thing that we ended up getting that revenue back, it took about five months but all that empty space on the graph where it dipped was, you know, we're already a couple million bucks into this at this point. And they might as well just put another million on there. Yeah. That's about what that cost. And, but honestly, COVID probably did not probably, it did full scale a huge favor. Yes. Cause it did a couple things at the time. The business was so reliant on a real estate footprint because everyone came to the office every day and, Here's the thing is like in the Philippines, which is realistically, so parts of it are very first world and parts of it are very third. So it's kind of a second world kind of thing, but it's really expensive real estate and there's a lot going on. And, you know, like, I don't know, like if you look at, if I hire 20 new people, I got to give them developer grade laptops and extra monitor, a whole bunch of stuff. I'm looking at a couple grand a seat. So yep. if I'm going to hire 20 new people. I got forty thousand dollars, forty fifty k in costs before they show up and earn a dollar, and then I gotta hope I gotta find a client and a contract and all that. So you know, I really went all in at that point. I had been building the full scale management platform uh, a little bit, and it was really just an employee database. It was really just so I could show people a profile. It's really cool for anyone that hasn't seen it. Like it's 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 actually you just call it the full scale management. You know, but it's actually a really cool system. Did you work on that during the slump? 
Is that like because you I had? At, I, I started building it nine months into the into the um, into the company. Okay. And you know that's just kind of the way I do things. Like there's no, there was nothing. So there aren't very many companies that do what Full Scale does. And that's let's talk about that for a second. So at Full Scale, we're in the business of building long term teams. Yeah. Like we don't do short term contracts. We don't do hourly work. These are not freelancers. They are our full time employees that be, essentially become our clients' full time employees. Yep. So there's no real, there wasn't, there's not a platform to manage all that. You could cobble like six or seven together, but it was still not great. And the, but the, the full scale platform, which is now really sophisticated and it honestly is like what's driving our growth right now and what will make our growth exponential in the coming years. So wait till the fifth year episode. Okay. I'm expecting four, three or four times more employees Okay. in the next year. That's a big and, statement. Well, but I can I couldn't we couldn't do it until the platform came along. So the platform at the time started as like an employee database and it just kind of kept growing and growing and growing. The problem was is in a cash strap business, you have a hard time dedicating your resources to things like that. So back to that team that driving team, start stop, start stop, start stop. So, you know, we built the platform often with excess capacity, like people that were in between projects, which yeah. is the wrong way to do it because it's like a rotating cast. Um, and just, it wasn't until the pandemic hit and I realized I was like, okay, so the company that we knew the way we knew it is done was probably not going to exist again. And, you know, here's the thing. I still pay for all that office real estate. It's going to make a skate park. It hasn't. Well, we have enough space because I literally have two floors of a high rise building in an IT park, like 20,000 square feet. Yeah. I got room for about 350 people. And that's crazy. Right? Yeah. Now I do still pay for that, but I'm okay with that because we just went heavy into managing the platform. So the platform has multiple, has three main faces. There's management. And then we have to deal with applicants and then we have to deal with our employees. And then we also have clients. So it's, excuse me, it's four, four faces. Um, and, uh, you know, so our clients will sign up at fullscale.io and we've built something that you can answer like two minutes worth of questions. And the platform will now match you up with available service providers. With that, we also merged Gigabook into the full-scale platform so that our prospects and clients can make appointments. It's all self-service in that regard. And uh, with the update we launched today, um, it is almost fully self-service. So they can request contracts. They can manage their whole team. It has daily reports, weekly reports, uh, really everything. Beautiful. And that's in the client, that's in just in the client side. Now, here's the thing is the clients don't give us contracts unless we have people that can perform the work. So we're a premium service provider. We only like, we need 30 applicants on average to find the one person we want to hire. Mm. So in the last two months, and we're recording this a little earlier than the four year birthday, but we've had over 900 applicants each of the last two months. So we also use Gigabook there to streamline and automate everything. So, you know, an applicant will sign up and we've created 48 of our own certifications Okay. that we've now given to hundreds, if not thousands of people. So we know the benchmark for what's good and what's not. So if they get a specific score, the system now moves them along and streamlines them, puts them with the right kind of interviewer, all of that. Wow. And, uh, that's the big thing that's made the difference because even until recently, it was still take us a couple of weeks to get through 
interviews and we can now do it in three days. And you have to have a person to do the interviews and like, you know, you have to establish your guidelines. Anytime you get people involved, their opinions kind of can swing the data. You could have a great person, but maybe the interviewer doesn't like that person for any reason. So yeah, we've been, we've been able to really establish like what we want. And and when it comes to hiring developers and dude, we're laser sharp. Like I, I honestly, I was talking to our COO. I said, name the last bad hire we made. It was like two and a half years ago. Dang. I mean, it's like, we've gotten that exact with it and that's why our, we're growing. So our clients that, so we, we also only work with a specific type of client. And we're looking for like really challenging stuff. Cause if you want to get the best people, they don't want to come and do boring shit all day. Yep. They want challenge. work on cool they projects challenged and they want to work around other really smart people. I can speak to my team on that in regards to just the projects they're working on. You know, if they're working on a, a brand, a product that's just boring, you know, I see yep. that. And if they're working on something cool, they light up about it, you yep. know? So, yep. so, you know, with that, we've, we've had a very disruptive uh, approach to Cebu which had some antiquated hiring and business practices. And we just thrown a match on that. I just got back from it. I mean, there's no doubt that full scale is the top place for technologists to work in Cebu. We're expanding our footprint in Manila and Davao now, but I mean, our competitors are telling people that are leaving them to come work with us. They're like, we can't compete. Just go, go. So there's something that I just found out recently that you, you probably already know but obviously Amazon has some kind of training facility in the Philippines uh, for staff. Um, and this is what I found out from another agency owner uh, that's in the Philippines. Okay. So they uh, sell our candy uses uh, Filipinos in their agency and hire them out. And um, but Amazon has a corporate training center there. Well, well they train, they train them and then they leave to the private sector uh, basically to go work for these private agencies that are working in the Amazon space because they get treated way better, better quality of life, higher pay. Um, so there's a lot of companies out there developing talent um, to compete with on, on all sides of the industry, which I didn't know that was happening from Amazon corporate. I thought there was just certain well, agencies our going Our hiring out there. model was only getting people that had that kind of experience. And now, you know, I think you saw, well, you shared my posts. So I, we are now operating on all sides of the spectrum. I just made a deal with six different universities to line up the top 3%. Now they have like 5,000 computer science students there, you know, which is like 10 times more than the state of Kansas probably has right now. Yep. And those, those students in that top elite group, like we're bringing them in, we're going to, we're going to train them even more and we're going to set them loose. I mean, that's, that's a couple hundred kids. I love that. Um, given scholarships, internships, um, you know, it's like certain things. It's like, I don't know, there's some of these solutions are, are painfully simple, but not apparent. So I was talking to the dean of the University of Cebu, which, by the way, the University of Cebu's mascot is the webmaster. Really? Yes. That's what's yeah, up. I'll have my University of Cebu webmaster's basketball jersey. So, okay. Yeah. They're custom making that for me. I believe, and if you're listening, University of Cebu, I wasn't kidding about wanting that honorary degree. I'm going to finally graduate from college, I think. No, I love that. It'll give me an honorary degree. Maybe I'll get you one too. Uh, but with that, um, you know, I said, what's the biggest challenge you need to solve? And she said, Matt, it's almost impossible to survive computer science when you don't have a computer. So you look at like, and I'm such a big advocate of leaving a positive footprint where you're at. Like, dude, I literally, so we decommission our laptops after four years because our, 
our agreement with our clients is modern cutting edge equipment. And it's also a big recruitment draw. So I'm going to just literally be cycling hundreds of computers through these schools that are treasures for them. Yep. And for us, just like sitting in a server room and, you know, just try, I don't know, like whether they work for us or somewhere else or whatever, like take it. One of the, um, the greatest entrepreneur stories I've ever heard comes from my own personal life. Um, I grew up in Africa. I was in Congo. There's a guy named Felix Caboza, and um, he was just a great friend, honestly, an angel to my family uh, in like real physical saved our lives situations. And um, he started with he was standing outside of a copy shop, a copy shop, like copier, like paper copies. And uh, he would get people off the street. Kinshasa is 12 million people. So it's like a New York in regards to the amount of people. Um, and for 10 francs, which was Congolese francs at the time, he would make a copy for people. Or whatever they needed. And he was out there hustling. He, um, from there, he went to internet cafes at the time. So this was like 2000, 2001. And he was using floppy disks and internet and getting people like a few minutes at a time on the internet to send a resume or something in Kinshasa. Um, and now he owns hotels and these internet cafes. And he's involved in the universities there. And um, I just know firsthand like what a 10 year old computer like the value that some of this old equipment still has there. It's literally um, everything from here ends up in one of these countries, you know, and, and the ability to have a computer, he literally changes his daughters here in university. So went from absolute, maybe 99% unemployment in that city to, you know, sending his daughter to, to university here with an old computer. The, the, um, in the Philippines, then some of the neighborhoods, they have these booths that are computer booths. And you put a peso in it, mm -hmm. a Filipino Just peso, like which is about two cents. And that gives you five minutes. That's and exactly how it was. It's man. like coin op. And I mean, it's really foreign for like what I think about. But yeah, I'm looking forward. I want to outfit a couple computer science labs and whatever. And, that's legacy. Know. That's cool. That's I mean, really yeah. Cool. And that's the thing is like, if you can make a difference, then and you got to do it in a way that, you know, I'm not doing that with an expectation of return positive it'll probably generate one it's investment it's nurturing yeah, it's fine yeah so i mean if that, like i said it's you look at there's so much shit that businesses like i look at the last businesses that i've owned and i didn't know this because i had to move it afterward like all the crap you just kind of end up with or stockpile and you know moving into this building there's way yeah there's ways to find that you utilize the excess capacity at your business and really make a difference okay so we're rounding do, out. Do we have to do our ad reads so we don't get in trouble? Yeah, so well, so well this, this I have the founder of Full Scale on here. So I think about how silly that was. I was thinking about how silly that was. But <laughs> but honestly, as as a um, you know, lover of Startup Hustle, as a host on it, as a beneficiary of Startup Hustle's reach, uh, we wouldn't be here without Full Scale. So, True. Uh, you know, thank you yeah. to Full Scale team. If anyone's listening yeah. to this episode for all the work behind the scenes. Um, let's round it out with like, you know, a couple more questions about full scale, just like, you know, some factual stuff, like what was the typhoon? Like, like, you know, that was one of the questions I wanted to bring up was just like, what was going through that typhoon? I think we had a pandemic here, get through the pandemic. Then there's a typhoon. So, so you talk about, it, it felt like I was going into COVID again. So, and, uh, what a mental in, challenge in December of 2021, what, this is what Andrew's talking about. There was, uh, so Typhoons hit the Philippines all the time. And by the way, go to the Startup Hustle YouTube channel. We made a video about this and I, I documented a lot of it along the way. It's pretty powerful stuff, man, because uh, 
you know, we, we, we got some real time footage in there and some real time reactions. Uh, so, uh, it's not uncommon for typhoons to hit the Philippines. In fact, when I was just there, there was a typhoon out in sea, it just rained a lot. And most of the time, even when they're mildly strong, it's just inconvenient yeah. for a day or two. This one just kind of spun in the sea and then made landfall like pretty much bullseye uh, Cebu. And it was a category five strength hurricane when it hit land, which is powerful. I'm talking like triple digit mile per hour winds and stuff like that. And honestly, I wasn't really prepared for it. Yeah. Um, How can you be? I reached out the next day when, you know, our COO called me. He said, dude, this looks bad. And the next day, our our development manager's name's Nax. He went down to the office just to see if it was there and like working. And he, you know, hit me up on Slack and I said, how bad is it? And he said, it's terrible. I said, tell me how terrible. He said, I haven't seen this in 20 years. And I said, shit. Now, this is on a Friday. And I told him, I said, dude, you need to immediately assume and prepare for the fact that everybody that works at full scale is probably going to show up at the office on Monday. Go get us, find water, all of it. I mean, anything you can. And he did exactly that. He spent the next two days driving in every possible direction, any which where he could just to find like, keep in mind, we got a lot of employees. So like a couple hundred people show up and you need to give all three. Do you have 600 bottles of water downstairs? Cause you probably don't, I don't have them up here. So go find these things. Cause here's the thing is the whole infrastructure was out. So yep. power was out, which the power runs the pumps that drives the water, which dude, I have a new appreciation for how fucked we all are without electricity. Yep. Cause you can't use your credit card. You can't use the store. You can't do anything. And, uh, so then on, you couple that with the internet infrastructure being down and now you're really in bad shape. Yep. So, uh, sure as shit. I mean, tons of our employees showed up Monday morning. Now here's the thing is that's not about trying to do work. They weren't going to the office to do work. They were seeking refuge. Yeah. So we had a ton of people that just, they, their lives were devastated. You know, their houses were ruined. They, a lot of people were trapped in their neighborhoods because they were out wherever they were at big trees and things fall and you got to wait to clear the road because you can't drive out of it or anything. So it's completely devastated. So the first thing we had, the first matter at hand is, okay, is everyone safe? So we began the process and throughout that whole first weekend, I was really, I mean, like every 15 minutes, I was pretty much calling our COO and we were, we, we learned a lot from COVID. We learned a hell of a lot about contingency planning. Yep. So obviously the first thing is, is everybody okay? Like you, you're not even thinking about work or anything like that, that. You'll come back to that later. And, you know, on top of this too, we got a shitload of clients that know their teams at full scale pretty well. And they're asking, are they alive? You know, and you're like, uh, you have to tell people like, I don't know yet. Think about that. Yeah. It's heavy shit, man. Yeah. And it's also like a week before Christmas. So like we're, we're going to th- even talking. Well, about we're going through like- that. You know, I, I grew up in a war zone in Congo. I, so me personally, as a friend, like I just really relate to that, that chaos that's happening. And you know, the more, the poorer you are in some ways, like the more you're devastated. Yeah. The less you help you're getting robust house and the walls around your compound. And you know, yep. you're, and you got 10 roofs and it's just hard for a lot of people to understand, you know, so, but so we had to start, try to start counting everyone. So obviously the people that are showing up at the office was the fastest way to do that. But that's only about half. Yeah. Because the other half of people, we're all distributed. We've been working remote. How are you guys staying in contact if the power was out? 
Um, they came to the office. So the office didn't lose power. It okay. didn't lose internet and it has backups for that. And that's part of how they deal with that. So it was prepared. So we were welcoming everybody to come in because they, you know, like charge your phone so you can try to make a call and let someone else know you're okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we let everyone know, like, first we're going to, we're going to take care of stuff, you know, like, don't worry about the work side of things. Um, but yeah, so we had about half, about half of our employees showed up, which here's another thing too. At the time there was COVID restrictions. So we had to deal with that. Did you have any clients that, that didn't respond well to like being put on pause or no? No. no. I mean, and honestly, if we had, I might've told them to fuck off. Well, of course. Yeah. I just didn't know what, what like, yeah. you know, no, all we, the practical no, applications no, and, of and that. In fact, like I was so, I was so overwhelmed with the outpouring of support that we had so the very first thing we did that Friday was I sent forty thousand dollars US over, and I told them to go get the money, figure out how to go get it. Now there was lines at the banks that were hours, and another thing too is like you don't usually just carry forty grand around in a bag anywhere. Yep. So, but the reason for that is we knew that we knew the ATMs would be down. We if we just put money in your bank account, you wouldn't be able to access it. So yep. we wanted to distribute some funds immediately to everyone which we were immediately doing on Monday. To the best of my knowledge, we're the first company that was really distributing storm relief. At the same time, we were, we did a fundraiser for startup hustle and through the startup hustle chat. Um, we auctioned some things off like some of the, you know, the full scale suite tickets. I'm like, I don't need these, you know, raised about 25 grand there and full scale clients put in about the same. Awesome. So we came up with about, we had three different rounds of storm relief that we were able to distribute to in cash to our, uh, to our employees that made a big impact. Um, so, you know, and also just like things like procuring water and stuff like that, letting people, even if they weren't working at the office all day, they could come by and get a couple bottles of water because that's tough to get. Yep. (laughs) And you know, just overall, just trying to deal with it. Now, the hardest part was we got, so we got five, four or five days into this. And we, at this point, so people could come to the office and we could use the internet there. So we could do, you know, Zoom calls with them. And they said, we found 70% of our employees. And they were like, happy about that. I was like, guys, where's the other 30? Where's the other 30%? Because at the time, 220 employees, 30% is a lot of people, man. So we were still continuing to poll people and do stuff like that. We had to relocate like five families, which we paid for. Like we had a, uh, one of our employees and his wife, they had a five month old baby and they were in a house with one. I put them in a four star hotel, you know, cause I couldn't get an Airbnb right. or anything else. Cause it was just really tough. And we really, we did have to relocate several people. Um, but yeah, it was tough, man. So we managed to kind of like, in a way, bringing the team in hindsight, not in hindsight, but you know, down the road a little bit, I'm sure it was definitely for your team to see you guys step up in a way like that. Built, yeah, we, you know. we, got, we got pretty good reviews from that. We do ask our, our employees to, you know, we just did an employee satisfaction survey. And, you know, I mean, it was, it, it, it was you know, without, the, without all the folks at Full Scale in Cebu, like, I mean, I'm not successful. I need them. I work for them, not yeah. the other way around. You know, it's uh, so that, that was tough, and you know, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of it was a lot of coordination. Um, you know, needing to exercise empathy and understanding in a lot of different cases, and you know, our clients really stepped up. And, and you know, honestly, that while the, the timing at, at that being around Christmas sucked, 
it also played to our advantage because a lot of people already had time scheduled off and our clients weren't going to be in the office. So um, as shitty as the Christmas timing was, it was also kind of beneficial to the overall situation because there was just a, a less of a, a spirit of giving less demand on new stuff. It, it was more so that like, I mean, just like a lot of, a lot of our clients just kind of shut stuff down like that, especially that last week before, like between Christmas and new year. So, you know, we had, you know, not that that made the overall situation any better, but I got to say like, and I cried when I was just over there recently, uh, I was just emotional about, I, I just have so much respect for how tough everyone there is. Mm. Like, I mean, dude, if the roof blew off my house, I mean, man, yep. you know, but they, I mean, they get right back in and fix it and, you know, like. You know, it's there's just, nothing to cry. You just have to get to work. Like, you know, yeah. it's literally like fight or flight, uh, yeah. you know, and that's exactly what they did. And, you know, we were basically back at full speed a couple of weeks later, and, you know, where we had fringe cases and stuff like that. We took care of it. You know, those weren't loans. Like we took, just took care of it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and like I said, it was disruptive. And, you know, my wife asked me about that and, you know, I, I don't know. I just kind of, went into like old experienced mode and I, I look back at it and I, I told her, I said, I think I'll look back at that when I retire as like one of my better moments as a manager and a leader. Yeah. I think there's a J this is going to be maybe a little silly, but there's a J Cole song, uh, a newer one on his last album. Are you going to sing it? Nah, but he talks about, he talks about, you know, preparing in the summer for those moments that happen, those tough ones. And it's like, it's, you know, you said you, you went back to your, like your experience from the past to lean on it in those moments. But what he's talking about is just like, you got to do the work. You're learning this stuff ahead of time. You're learning this stuff in the off season. So when like, you know, it was, which, the, it was the contingency planning. It's like Patrick Mahomes stepping up to the line, knowing he's got five possible audibles. Like you had to, we had to create six plans that were detailed and deep knowing that five of them aren't going to be used or maybe pieces are there. And the, the, the big part of that exercise that matters is when a moment comes and you need to make an important decision, having already discussed it or thought about it at all can change the way you make that decision when you need to in real time. Yep. I think uh, I've always thought about that with drunk driving, like, like I'm not going to make the decision once I'm drunk, I'm making a decision when I'm sober, not to drive drunk. You know, so that whenever I get there, it's a, my decision's already made up. Right. And uh, it's a metaphor, but like, I think we can all relate to that. It's like, no, you don't. You got to sit down and talk about every possible outcome that can occur and how, and the cause and effect relationship on all of that. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, and including things that aren't comfortable to talk about. Like when we had to literally sit and talk about like, what are we going to do if we have five employees that died? Yeah. And you feel guilty, like running your shower a little long when, when you're de- literally dealing with water, like yeah. getting the team water to drink, maybe well, a bottle um, or two a day. Right. You would have loved my approach. I was like, I mean, I was literally like telling our employees cause the hotels have like water filtration systems. I said, go find a place that will sell us water as much as we need. And they're like, well, it could be this much. I'm like, I don't care how much it costs water, at all. Just yeah. go get it. You know? And like, they got that sorted out pretty quickly, but mess okay typhoon we're gonna put a put a bookmark in that like we need to close up the episode and i think what's more fitting than the founders freestyle of course um so you know what's what's some advice you'd give we've talked about full scale there's so much more we could talk about maybe we'll talk about it again part two like on a birthday um 
but what's some advice you'd give for people four years in like, you know, um, incredible what's been accomplished in, you know, even four plus, uh, but what's some advice, what's a, you, you choose, but something to share with people that are, um, you know, starting up a new idea or looking to scale or overcome some big challenges like a typhoon. I think that for us, it's the understanding that the people at your business are your biggest asset, you know, and, you know, for us, it's, we have a microscopic churn rate, like people rarely, if ever quit at full scale. And that's because we listen to who they are and we and what they experienced and didn't like at other places and what we can do to make the company better. And sometimes you get, you hear a lot and you're like, that's not, we can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you can't do it every time, but you know what's important and you find ways to answer. And I think as long as you talk to the people, it, it, like we're so transparent. You know, after every time I leave the Philippines, I always ask the management to talk to the employees and they say things like, I can't believe the CEO came and talked to me that long. And and when I hear that, I the first thought in my head is, where did you work before? You know, like, yeah, you know, like, and I think it's about, I think the people that make the vision happen with you need to know what the vision is. And, um, and I think that it's really important that your folks, that the people that work at your business know that you care about them as people and not, they're not just like a sprocket. Yeah. You know, so, and that's been a big thing for us. And, you know, overall, I think that really in the end, you have to figure out a problem worth solving. And, you know, 10 years ago, I chased shiny things in every direction. You've heard me talk about this off air a lot. Like I'm just trying to be aces at like one or two things and that's it. Yep. And I, I'm a huge advocate of that right now. I get people that, that throw stuff out in and around my world all the time. You could do this. You could do that. How about you, you know, people are like, why don't you have virtual assistants or, or accountants or whatever? Cause it's not what we do. We help people build software teams and we do it quickly and affordably. And then it's, and is this management platform that we built. So we expect 400 employees by the end of the year. That's our conservative number. Expect that to double in 2023, maybe more. I don't know. The platform is, it has made our reach global and, it's pretty crazy. What so, kind of revenue are we talking about? Is that something we can share on air here? I mean, like right now, like, I mean, like 10 million a year ish. And it's yeah. expensive to run our business too. Like, that's the thing. It's like, I'd love, I want, like we find, we, we discontent. I mean, that's with our employee base now. I mean, so it doubles you know, as the people double. But we have a lot of, like we hit the point where we don't, because of the platform, we don't need to hire six people to do, you know, we have two people that can do things because we just d- digital transformation. I mean, I, I'm I'm definitely the long game entrepreneur in regards to I like to build stuff right and quality. And if I'm not, if it's not just like I'm trying to get to an exit or I'm trying to get to this endpoint, it's just about building it right. You I, know, I'm so even, I I don't even think of, people ask me they're like, do you have an exit strategy? No, I'm just trying to like build the best thing ever. Yeah, just do what we do and provide value and and build a good build a good company and as we've done that the words got out and the best people are coming to find us both as clients and as employees and it's getting easier and easier to do it uh but it's so hard you know like and it's uh i mean honestly when we're talking i've sought advisors and a lot of other things because we're starting to get noticed there's not a whole lot of people that are doing what we're doing at the scale that we're doing and with the trajectories so 
I don't know. Like people are like, well, do you want to try to take this public? I don't know. I mean, I don't What's my benefit in that? What's our benefit as a company? I mean, I'll ask the employees. So you know, like, are you trying to sell the company? I don't really think about that. You know, like, I'm 46 years old. I'm not going to do this forever, but you know, like the main, my main priority is that, you know, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't ever do anything that was like the double cross you know, I would never put the company or the people in it because once again, without the folks and everyone that works at full scale, like I'm at the bottom of the rung. In my world, the CEO, I work for everybody else. It's my job to find any and every way to make them as successful and happy as possible. We should make that a micro clip if we maybe. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. fire. But it's true, man. It's true. So, and there's, I don't know. There's a lot. I, I feel like I'm just getting started, and we're just getting started on this. Well, Startup Hustle listeners, I hope you enjoyed uh, getting a little behind the scenes of Full Scale, but uh, even more so Matt DeCourcy and, and his story. Um, there's so much more here. I've been, I've been around. I've been a mentee. I've been a colleague. I've been you know, a podcast host uh, here the last four or five years uh, with watching him and Matt um, you know, build Full Scale. And, you know, we, we've actually uh, partnered up in a building together. So we're on a couple of floors here on the KCK side and, and revitalizing the KCK uh, downtown area is one of our long term projects together as well. So uh, I've been here for the ride and it's it's been one that's a, a ton of fun, a lot of ups, a lot of downs. But I think that's what makes us um, love this stuff, you know, and that's why we love sharing it with you guys. So it won't be the last time, uh, you know, we have Matt on here, but Hope you guys enjoyed and, and a shout out. It's weird saying the sponsor spot, but shout out to fullscale.io helping you build software teams quickly and affordably uh, even here for our founder of full scale, Matt. Uh, we'll see you next time. Hustlers. See ya. Bye. Startup hustles brought to you by fullscale.io helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button. Then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. Cause, 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 cause,